Well, if you have no conflict, what you're saying is I can't be honest with you when I disagree with you. And if I can't be honest with you when I disagree with you, then I can't have any intimacy with you. And if I can't have any intimacy with you, I have no community. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the second season of the Faith at Work podcast, where we get the joy of bringing you conversations that discuss how our faith informs our everyday work. I'm your host, Jen Kelly, joined by my friend and fellow pastor, Daniel Small. This season, we're going to be sitting down with a variety of experts, thought leaders, and working professionals to talk about how to navigate difficult everyday situations at work and how our faith should inform our response. All of this is to help stir our imaginations, to give us new insights and practical ways to be people who work with wisdom. Yeah, today we're sitting down with Dr. Scott Cormode, the Hugh Dupree Professor of Leadership Development at Fuller Seminary. His most recent book, The Innovative Church, asks how congregations can embody the unchanging Christian gospel in an ever-changing culture. Scott is funny, he's brilliant, and he has a lot of wisdom when it comes to conflict resolution and mediation. Thanks so much for being part of this conversation today. We hope you enjoy it. I'm happy to be here. Oh, Scott. Hey, Scott. For me in particular, we get we get to introduce a lot of people from Wheaton because we're in Chicagoland and all that kind of stuff. So you are actually our second person that we've had from Fuller Theological Seminary, which warms my heart very much. And <laughs> I actually was a student of yours. So your leadership class has had... Uh, a tremendous impact on my own life and ministry here. And so I am I'm so excited and thrilled and it's a huge honor and privilege to have you with us today. Yeah, I can affirm that. Jen has been talking about this, uh, <laughs> wanting to get you on here for a long time. So it is so good to have you here. Well, thank you. All right. So today we are talking about conflict resolution, right? And just using the word conflict brings up a whole host of different kinds of emotions right off the bat. And usually I would say negative ones. Uh, We as humans, we deal with family struggles, cultural and personal differences, their marital disagreements, and so on. So while we're really dealing with wisdom in the workplace, it is true that most people think that having any sort of conflict, especially in the workplace, is regarded as like problematic, right? So Scott, one of the things that you actually teach is this idea that if there is no conflict, there is no honesty and no honesty, there is no intimacy and no intimacy, there is no community. So conflict, as you have put it, might actually be a good thing. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure enough. Um, Let me put it this way. I think that the way God has created us, we don't have a choice between conflict or no conflict. Mm -hmm. We have a choice between productive conflict or destructive conflict. Conflict is a byproduct of the wonderful gift that God has given us that says that each person is an individual. So there's only two of you on this podcast, but each of you probably have different opinions on things. And that's not a flaw in the system. That is part of God's good doing in the world. And that means we have to find a way to listen to one another, even and especially when we disagree. Otherwise, there's no reason for me to listen to you. If, if I'm not going to If I'm only going to pay attention to you when you agree with me, well, then all I need is a mirror image of myself. (laughs) 
But in this particular case, I'm probably going to learn something from listening to people who are not like me. But this goes back to the, the quote that you started with. Um, when I talk to people about what it means to be the church, I say, can we all agree together that anything that matters in the world, whether it's church or business or family, anything that matters requires other people, and it requires other people to live in community. Well, living in community requires us to be able to handle conflict or disagreement in a productive way. Because we, you know, over and over again, I hear people who are Christians say, oh, good people don't have conflict. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have no conflict, what you're saying is I can't be honest with you when I disagree with you. And if I can't be honest with you when I disagree with you, then I can't have any intimacy with you. And if I can't have any intimacy with you, I have no community. Hmm. So, just the very basics of wanting to live in community require us to be able to talk honestly with each other. But that means we're going to have to have a, a way of having productive conflict. <laughs> the problem, of course, is that most of us learn conflict in a destructive way. Let me give, let me give you an example. When did you, how old were you when you learned how to squabble with your siblings or disagree with somebody or to be in conflict? <laughs> Probably two, three, four years old, right? Like one. Zero. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as I was born. Yeah. I had all brothers. So very young. Oh, wow. <laughs> so one of the things that happens is that we tend to revert to the kinds of conflict we learned when we were very young. So um, you can, let's picture that you have two siblings, you know, that there are two siblings next to each other. And the stereotype is one of them is going to be attacking and one of them is going to be um, defending at all times. And that becomes a personality type that, you know, if you were to pick one of my children and put them in conflict, that child would probably be an attacker. And if you put one of my other children into uh, a conflict situation, her instinct would be to be a defender. It just, and the way that I describe it is this conflict makes three-year-olds of us all. Hmm. And so if we, if we were to go to our instincts, we would act like three-year-olds every time conflict comes up. So what we have to do is cultivate better instincts so that we don't act as selfish three-year-olds. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. I love how you framed that conflict is a gift that, you know, as as uh, people who have been created, that is a gift that God has given to us. And it's a false choice to think that there's conflict or no conflict, right? That's a, that's a false choice that's being presented. It's really the way that we deal with it. And like you, like you were just saying that there's um, different positions that we learn to take on early on as, you know, when we're three-year-olds. Mm -hmm. um, which, which happens. So Scott, can you actually talk about that a little bit further? Some of the, maybe talk about the different positions that we can take or adopt in a conflict. You, I know you mentioned you can be the defender or, uh, the attacker, so to speak. Um, but maybe talk about some of those different positions that people can take in a conflict and then why it's important for us to understand where we sit in the context of a conflict. So oftentimes what happens when you're in a conflict is it feels like it just washes over you. And 
you feel kind of uh, um, overwhelmed by it, like like when a wave kind of hits you and and go and rolls over you. Part of what I try to do is to teach how to get your footing, so you don't feel like it's rolling over you. And part of it is to just pause for a second and pay attention to different kinds of conflict. There's conflict that you observe, but you're not participating in. I might walk into a room and the two of you are in conflict in some way. Hmm. And I have no jurisdiction over this. It's just conflict I observe. There could be conflict that's directed at me. You know, I could walk in a room and both of you be angry at me. I have to know that in that moment, my instinct is to be defensive. And I need to fight that instinct and instead spend time listening. Sometimes there is conflict that I have to initiate. I have to go and tell somebody that um, I remember um, my parents at one point uh, were painting the house. And my dad started putting the paint on the on the house. And my mom had to go out there and say, I think you got the wrong color. Oh, no. <laughs> that is conflict that you, I mean, it is the right thing to do to initiate right, that right. conflict yeah. at that moment. I mean, you know, they had a little swatch that said this number and she, and my, and we could look on the paint can and say, that's not the number they gave us. Oh, no. Now you can imagine my dad was not thrilled to hear that this paint that he had just purchased was the wrong color and that he was going to have to go, go, but it was a lot better to have that conversation when there was like three square feet painted rather than when he was done. So we can all agree that there are times when it is right thing to do to initiate. Mm -hmm. But you have to recognize that in each setting, you're paying attention to what status you have in that room. Mm. That. Um, part of what I, I, ta I, I talk about all the time is what are you authorized to do? <laughs> what I mean by that is, let me give you an example. Let's say you are uh, standing in a grocery line and there is a mom and a child next to you. And that mom is acting in a way that you think is inappropriate. Do you say anything? Well, it depends. If, um, if these are strangers and you're just a bystander, you're probably not going to say anything. But what if you are a grandparent and this is your daughter talking to your grandchild? Well, you might say something. Let's say you are a husband and it's your wife talking to your child. Well, they might say. Let's say you are a parent and this is a stranger talking to your child. Well, you're going to say something. You know. So the, the nature of the relationships decide what you can say and when. And so part of one, one of the most important things you can do to get your footing when conflict happens is just pause for a second and say, what am I authorized to do? What is my role in this moment? And that really helps. I, th I think that is so profound and so key. And, and I remember taking this part in your class because I remember asking myself that very question in so many countless circumstances in ministry in business in context like I would feel myself getting angry about something or defensive or I have an opinion here and it matters and asking that one question do I have authority in this situation in this relationship to actually do anything about it change anything or whatever and 
it, it was it's been surprising to me. I'm f- I'm 41 years old now, right? But asking that question how actual little authority I have in most things that I do get upset about or whatever. And then realizing the difference, like the the things that I do have authority in or that I can make a difference in or that I can put input in, it, it causes me to pause, to discern, to think about, okay, what are some good next healthy steps for me to like get through that? So that that question is, go- it's, it's gold for us to be able, especially yeah. for our listeners. But can I, I give you an example? Yes, absolutely. Please. So let's say you're in a business situation and let's say that you are in a meeting. Is it possible to imagine that somebody in a, in a job would have to attend a meeting? We can all picture that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, um, something happens that you disagree with. What is your, what are, what is your next step? Well, it depends on what you're authorized to do. Oftentimes you're in a place where there is a clear boss and you are clearly not the boss. So you can't turn and just tell people what to do. But oftentimes you have voice, but not command. Mm. And so what you can do in that moment is often plant language. You can't actually tell people how to make the decision, but you might be able to introduce ideas that become the framework for a decision. But oftentimes the most powerful thing you can do is make sure somebody else is heard. Hmm. Well, you, you know, I can't tell you how many times I'll be in a meeting for something and I'll say, wait a second, I think that person over there has something important to say. And you can lend your credence to the fact that they get to speak hmm. and it changes the momentum in the room. So oftentimes you don't have the authority to make a decision. But you have the authority with voice to create a momentum that ends up being towards a decision. And oftentimes the most powerful thing you can do is lift up somebody else's voice who needs to speak, but for some reason is not able to in that moment. That's good. That's good. That's yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's the role of uh, of, like you said, a good leader is looking for people that really can elevate some of the voices in the room that might might not typically be heard and, and help you know help uh, really facilitate healthy dialogue and conversation. I think that's really good. Scott, I want to talk about some of the other side of this because oftentimes we're in positions of authority to actually initiate conflict, but we don't. We don't do anything about it because we want to sweep it under the rug. And if you have a personality like me that's sort of bent on keeping the peace, uh, conflict is actually a really, really big challenge. And I think this is especially true in workplaces, right? Because in workplaces, you're supposed to be a little bit more buttoned up. Things are a little bit more professional. So you're not going to yell at you know, you're not going to yell at the your coworker or your boss or whatever in the same way that you might at, you know, your sibling or mm-hmm. whoever. So and and sometimes as a result of that, you know, we sweep conflict under the rug and then that can sometimes slip out as a sarcastic comment or it, it can kind of leak out in other unhealthy ways. So I just could you just talk a little bit of why it's important for us to actually be people that are willing to initiate conflict? Um, in the workplace and how we actually do that in a uh, healthy, healthy way. So you're really asking two questions here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the first question 
and then I'm going to forget what you asked. And, and then, then I'll you're ask going the to second one. Perfect. Yeah, great. And and, <laughs> and, and, you're, and then you're going to say, yeah. no, remember when we talked about how don't make a sarcastic remark, don't yeah. you? And then I'll have a response to that. Cool. But the first question I think that you were asking is, let's say you're a boss, or let's say you have in some way people entrusted to your care. I would argue uh, that Christian leaders, that means Christians who are um, working in the world, I don't think of myself as having followers. Jesus has followers, but I have people entrusted to my care. Hmm. And that's how I would see anyone who's a direct report, anyone who is a volunteer that works under me. That's so and good. let's say that I have a responsibility to, to initiate something that might create conflict. What do I do? Well, oftentimes I'm experiencing competing commitments. On the one hand, I think I should, resp- to, should initiate conflict. On the other hand, the last thing I want to do is be in the middle of a conflict because I don't want anybody to feel bad. Well, one of the things that I regularly do in that kind of moment is I just narrate the competing commitments. So I um, let's say that you work for me, and let's say I ask you to do a particular job, and let's say you did half of it and did that okay, and kind of just blew off the other half or forgot the other half or misunderstood. We don't know what, but I have to come to you and say, you only did half of the job. You can imagine how there's a lot of ways that um, that could create conflict. So normally what I would do in that kind of setting is I would start by paying attention to my own feelings. Because if I go in hot, I'm going to elevate. And we'll have some more conversation about de-escalating, I'm sure, later. But I have to pay attention to my own feelings first. And let's say I've handled that. Oftentimes, what I would say to you is I said, I'm experiencing a bunch of different competing commitments right now. Let me tell you the things I'm thinking about. Um, I'm remembering that we sat down and we talked about the assignment and we talked about what um, uh, what you were going to do and what you weren't going to do. Um, I noticed that you did these parts and I want to say that those you did really well and I want to compliment you for those. I noticed that that there are these parts that I thought we talked about you doing that you didn't seem to do, and I want to have a conversation about either why you chose not to do that or when you're going to do that, but how we're going to we're going to do it together. But what I want to do is figure out how we can move forward with with all of this, and just by narrating all of those pieces, it turns down the heat hmm. because it gives somebody permission to talk about whatever piece they want going forward. But the other thing that I would say is whenever I teach people about how to have direct reports, whether this is volunteers in a church or it is employees or, you know, it is your soccer t- you know, team that you're coaching a bunch of nine-year-olds, um, you have th- anybody who has direct reports has three responsibilities. And we Christians often do them all poorly. Mm. The three responsibilities are recruitment, training, and supervision. And oftentimes, instead of doing good recruitment, we settle for filling a position. Oftentimes, instead of um, doing training, we just orient people or we just throw them into the deep end. And oftentimes, instead of doing supervision, we just pat people on the back and hope that they're going to feel okay about it. (laughs) Well, notice the conflict moment that I just described a moment ago. It works completely differently 
if I had properly trained you or prepared you to do the job. Because then I could actually, as we were talking, say, okay, uh, here are the parameters we agreed on. Here are the things that you need to do, those kinds of things. That's what supervision would look like. But if I haven't actually given you proper training for the job, supervision often becomes, you didn't properly read my mind. And that's, that's a real problem for everybody. So one of the things that I often have to do when I am in a supervisory role and I'm about to initiate conflict is I have to ask, did I pop properly train this person for whatever that I'm about to, to do? Because if I didn't, the solution to this problem is not to go to them and tell them they failed. The solution to this problem is to go to them and tell them that in the future, we're going to, I'm going to need to train them better so that I'm the one that needs to change. So yeah. that was the first thing. What was the question that I told you was going to come back and I knew it was going to No, this is good. Well, this is reminding me of Thomas Kim. Do you yeah. remember his three T's? He was talking about this idea of first telling somebody what they're doing wrong. Maybe they don't know, right? And so they need, they need to recognize what they're doing wrong. But then the second part, it could be a training issue of, hey, maybe we haven't actually trained you properly in yeah. how to how to do that. And I think that is, uh, it's really helpful because sometimes it is a matter of telling somebody and, you know, the issue is solved from there and it's it's good to go. But then sometimes it's a matter of, hey, we actually need to be, be good supervisors and really invest in your development so that you know how to do your job well and actually have be on the same page about our standards. Um, the second part was about um, leaking out. So sometimes we can uh, leak out un. Uh, emotional waste, I'll call it, uh, we, something unhealthy mm -hmm. because we want to have a conflict or not want to, but there is some sort of conflict. We are too afraid to address it head on and then we sort of leak it out in other ways. So nonverbals. Yeah, the nonverbals, yep. you know, yep. I, I'm no longer talking to Jen anymore. Yep. I'm, you know, maybe a little bit sarcastic if she, try, you know, tries to say something funny or whatever, you know, those those sort of subtle things that happen. So maybe could you just uh, speak to that a little bit and how to how to navigate that? So can we agree yelling at people is probably not the solution? Yes. Can we agree that <laughs> sarcastic, sarcastic problem or sar sarcastic comments is probably not the solution? Gossip is not the solution. Mm -hmm. We all know that. There is nobody who's thinking, oh, no, secretly, that's what I want to train my people to do is to gossip. Yeah. Um, so why do we do it? Mm -hmm. We do it because we don't know what else to do. So I, I think it's important to pay attention to your emotions and why your emotions are going on. And I think that's really important. But I think also it's important to have an alternative. So I want to give you two or three different ways in which I have found it very helpful to engage conflict. The first is a quote from um, one of my coworkers here at Fuller who talked about whenever he and his wife encounter a difficulty, they think of it as you and me on one side and we're against the problem on the other side. It's not you against me. It's whatever the problem is, that is the adversary. And we are a team that's, um, that is trying to defeat that adversary. Mm -hmm. um, but we are in it together. And so if we start from a basis of whoever it is that I'm working with is my teammate, not my adversary, that changes things. The second thing that is very hard for me, but I know is true, is to say this. I'm not ready to talk until the other person is ready to listen. And it's my job to get them ready to listen. 
we've all been in conflict situations where I'm saying whatever I'm saying and they're not listening to me, but then it's their turn to speak and I'm not listening to them. And we can't really figure out why the things aren't going very well for us when neither of us was really listening to the other. And oftentimes when tensions are high, when we're dealing especially with kinds of things like um, uh, cultural divisions or political divisions, things, um, beliefs, the, these become, you know, so what do we do? My job is to listen to you long enough that you are now ready to listen to me. And so let me give you a image that I have. Have you ever seen a pirate movie? Doesn't matter what pirate movie. Pirates of the Caribbean? Every single pirate movie has a sword fight in it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's oh, yeah. required. <laughs> and apparently there's only one guy who choreographs all sword fights because they all look the same. <laughs> there is two people that are fighting and one of them is attacking and one of them is defending. And, you know, you can see, you know, the, the, you can picture the one person advancing and the one person retreating. And then there's a great reversal. And the other person is now attacking and the other person is retreating. And that basically goes back and forth where there's always one person attacking and one person defeating or um, defending. I want you to hear that that's how most people experience conflict. Hmm. That always somebody is attacking and always somebody is defending. And how do I know if you're attacking me? words are coming out of your mouth. That's how most people feel in a conflict situation. It doesn't matter what somebody is saying, they feel attacked because conflict makes three-year-olds of us all. Mm. So how do you break that cycle? I want to teach you how to hand the sword to the other person. Wow. Hmm. What I tend to do in a conflict situation is I have this little speech that I have memorized and I'm not allowed to go off scripts. And um, it's a, I have two speeches memorized. Um, I'll tell you about the other one later. But the first speech that I have memorized is this. It says, I want to understand you. And I want you to understand me. But we can't both talk at once. So how about this? I'm going to listen to you until you genuinely feel like I understand you. And then it will be my turn to talk. But we're not going to talk about what I'm thinking until you genuinely feel that I understand you. And then what I'll do is, you know, let's say, Jen will say, you know, this is what she's thinking. And then I will say, I get, I tell myself, I get one sentence, maybe two. And I say, I think what you have just said is this. And then the, the next sentence is crucial. I say, did I get that right? Or am I missing something? And the key phrase there is to say, or am I missing something? Because that is handing the sword back to them. They get to decide whether I'm missing something. And oftentimes, I'm not missing anything, but they're still amped up and they still want to talk. And I am not ready to talk until they're ready to listen. Like, that's so good. I, I just know, we all know of people and scenarios where we get so heightened and we probably, whether we identify with the left or the right of whatever topic it might be, but you get all of these emotions and this fact that you want to be right or whatever your prerogative might be. And I think that for this visual of you telling people to hand them the sword, right, 
to just listen so that they feel fully understood and known and why they think the way that they think about whatever topic might be is pure gold. We don't know how to do it very well. And I like, it takes a lot of practice, I would say, right? We probably Amen. we probably get it wrong a lot. And I, I just think that's so helpful for our listeners. I Scott, I remember one of the most life-changing things for me in your leadership class was this other you had us memorize, right? This thing that it was like a cue that this conflict will not undo us. The bonds that connect us are more important than the division. The issue is serious and we will deal with it without sweeping it under the rug, but we are strong enough as a group to learn from this moment and grow from it. And I cannot tell you how many times I have whispered in my mind when I have been in the middle of a conflict, especially with my husband, (laughs) this conflict will not undo us, right? Because it reminds me, the beautiful part of this memorization thing is it reminds me of Jesus first, right? The bonds that we have in Christ by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross is more important than whatever issue that we're talking about. But it also, the beautiful part of the the, the memorization is you have us acknowledge the fact that we're not going to sweep this under the rug. So yes, the bonds that we have are more important, but this issue is still important. So we're going to come together and work on it. So my question is, how how do we continue to practice that preach it to ourselves? Where did you get this from? And why is this so helpful, especially in regard to the world right now when a lot of people who are watching Christians, right, listening, paying attention, they it's so polarizing. We're, we're not good at any sort of argument, conflict resolution or anything when it comes to listening. That's a lot. So of I'm going to give you I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two answers. I'm going to talk about what does that look like in the church and what does that look like in the marketplace? Okay. So in the church, one of the most important theological concepts is the theology of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit binds us together. We in the United States have an oddly individualistic understanding of Christianity. the view of Christianity, that the biblical worldview, the view of, the, uh, of Christianity that's represented in the Bible is much more communal. Let me give you an example. Um, in the book of Acts, at one point, Peter goes and he preaches to a guy named Cornelius. You all remember that? Mm-hmm. And at one point at the end of it, it says, and Cornelius became a Christian, he and his whole household. Now, what I pictured when I was younger is that Peter then sat down and had some kind of an evangelistic conversation with each member of Cornelius's household. <laughs> of course not. That's not what had happened. It's they lived in a communal culture, and the head of the family decided, we are now Christians. And the whole community moved as one. That's a very communal understanding of, of society, and it is much more true to the biblical worldview. Well, it turns out we have in the United States a very individualistic worldview. And because we have a very individualistic worldview, we don't pay attention to the scriptures that talk about how we are bound together by the Holy Spirit in Christ. And so we bear a responsibility to unity. Mm. Um, That, you know, think of the high priestly prayer in John 17, that they all may be one. Or think about, you know, all these different passages about unity. 
And whenever I talk about unity, I have people come up to me and say, we would be unified if everyone would just do what I tell them. <laughs> now, they don't say it exactly in those words, but it's kind of like that. Hmm. What I want to do whenever I encounter conflict is I want to do a version of it's you and me against the problem. I want to say you and I disagree here. Okay, I'm okay with disagreeing. Let's just talk about it. Let's talk through it. Let's figure out how to, to create something that is be better than the two, the two of us individually. I want to understand you. Mm. But why is it that I have to say this conflict will not undo us? Because an awful lot of people grew up in contexts where conflict would undo it. Ooh. And that any conflict would lead to division and fracturing. And what it says when I say this conflict will not undo us is I'm actually saying I'm making a promise that I will not fracture us because I believe the Holy Spirit has bound us together. Now, I can't prevent the other person from walking away, but I can say for my part, I will commit myself to hanging in here with you as long as it takes to get this done. So that's what it looks like for Christians uh, in a Christian context. But what does it look like in a, in a work context? You, you can't assume that everybody there is a Christian. What do you do? Right. right. So I used to teach at the, um, you know, when I was teaching at the Claremont School of Theology, I also taught at the Drucker Business School. You've all heard of Peter Drucker, and mm -hmm. uh, the Drucker Business School is right across the street from us. And so I would go and i teach these MBA students who didn't necessarily have any kind of faith commitment. But one of the key things that the Drucker School taught is, is that every nonprofit and every business had at its core a mission. And that mission mattered more than it couldn't be just the instrumental mission of saying, I want to make money. Because if you do, you will fail. And so part of what I can say is this conflict will not undo us. The mission that we have committed to together is bigger than any of us. We are committed to that mission, and we will work on it together. Now, the problem is, is that many people in the workplace don't care about a mission. Hmm. They just want what they want. <laughs> and so I have to have done the homework to cultivate a commitment to something greater than yourself before we come to this conflict moment. Otherwise, it's every person for themselves. So that's where I, reg I, I teach students to say to themselves and out loud to a community, this conflict will not undo us. So good. That's so good. I love uh, what you're talking about here, too, of um, this connection between, um, you know, earlier when we first started, you talked about if there's no conflict, there's no community. And we can't really experience um, intimacy with one another. And I can't help but think in a culture of outrage and, you know, we and we avoid conflict, but we also feel very isolated. And the relationship between those two things of we feel very isolated as people, mm -hmm. is that because we're not really willing to engage in the hard things and sit down with one another and have these difficult conversations and because when we don't do that we lose out on intimacy and we lose out on relationship with one another 
And when that happens in the church, too, uh, that's extremely destructive. So I think it was really helpful kind of parsing out those two different, you know, marketplace and church and what that what that looks like. Um, Scott, I want to hear from you. So as Christians, um, if we're able to if we're able to get this right, if we're able to be able to uh, handle conflict in a really healthy way and being able to do this, particularly in our workplaces, can you just give us maybe a few uh, a few vignettes, or if I don't know if you have any stories of people that have have actually maybe de-escalated a conflict or have you know have handled something really really well? What does that what does that look like for us as people? And um, yeah, how do we how do we do that well? So I'm going to start in a place that 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 doesn't necessarily you would be surprised that I'm starting here. Okay. Um, I want to ask one of the questions that I realized I had to ask, um, and it really happened when I got married and I was in an intimate relationship where I would regularly make stupid mistakes. Uh, and my wife would regularly make stupid mistakes and then we'd argue about them. (laughs) Um, that's what early marriage just looked like. And, um, so part of what I had to decide is this, who do I want to be? when conflict arises, not what do I want to be or what do I want to do? I wanted to say who, what kind of person do I want to be? I want to choose to be a compassionate person. I want to choose to be a person who puts other people first. I want to choose, and I had to name the things that I wanted to choose to be. And then I had to ask myself, what behaviors do I regularly do that undermine my ability to be who I choose to be? And one of the big lies that I think people often believe about uh, work and Christianity in America is that I can be one person at work and another person in the rest of my private life. <laughs> and that it work. you know, I, I remember working with a, um, when I was teaching in the, in the business school, I had a student who was a Christian, but also worked in sales. And he said, in sales, I'm allowed to lie. In sales, I'm allowed to manipulate. In sales, and he listed all these things that we would think of as not Christian. He said, because that's the rules of sales. And if you don't know that you're being lied to in sales, well, that's on you. And I thought, well, I'm not entirely sure I would agree with that. And so we tried to have a conversation about it. And he said, no, that's just the way it is. I'm a different person. My mom wouldn't like me Hmm. if, if she saw how I was at work but that's who i need to be because that's the rules Just the of way it sales goes. yeah and i think every person has to decide who am i going to be am i going to be consistently christian and if i am what does that look like and then what kinds of behaviors will that entail and how do i cultivate those behaviors and so i can tell you stories about what that would look like But the most powerful thing somebody can do is ask themselves, who do I want to be when conflict arises? And how do I cultivate being that person? Dang. It reminds me of your story that you told me, Daniel, when you were a caddy. Oh, yeah. When you were younger and everybody else would take tips and do all this thing, but you loved Jesus at a really young age and you (laughs) wouldn't do it. But it it told the story to everybody else around you, Hmm. who you are and what you believed in. Yeah. 
um, that's so good for our people yeah, to absolutely. understand Definitely. and capture. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I Scott, I I don't want to end this conversation. I think it's so helpful and beneficial to so many different people listening. And I think um, we have a long way to go, but even to go back a little bit and understand that conflict resolution isn't, it doesn't have to be negative, right? It can be a gift from God and how we posture and how we define it matters. Who we are in the, the space of what kind of conflict uh, we're engaged in, if we're observer, if we have authority, all that kind of stuff. And then your prime even like to go back and remember, like when you find yourself in the middle, just listen, understand, like give them yeah. the sword and make sure you understand their point of view and where they're coming from. That's such a power. I love I I just, that imagery of like giving them Handing the sword. Handing them the sword is gold. I'm going to go watch a bunch of sword fights now. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, can you tell our listeners uh, again where we can find you? Um, I know we said Fuller Theological Seminary, but remind us again of the book that you just authored. So um, I'm a professor at Fuller Seminary. I uh, wrote a book called The Innovative Church, and it talks about the problem of how do you maintain a rock solid commitment to the unchanging Christian gospel, and how do you embody that in an ever changing culture? And so that's what I, the problem I worked on. If you're particularly interested in um, the conflict resolution, there uh, you can go to something called Fuller Equip. Fuller Equip has a series of online courses for laypeople, and I have a, a whole course that's just on conflict management uh, that you can just look up my awesome. name at Fuller Equip, and you can take that course. That's great. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for thanks for joining us today. You gave us a lot of really good, a lot of really good things to think about, um, especially as we think about uh, mediating and resolving conflicts uh, in the workplace. Thank yeah. you again so much. Yes, Appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Friends, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Faith at Work podcast. Our conversations happen every other week, so in two weeks you can expect another interview to help you think critically about faith and work intersecting in creative and inspiring ways so that we can be people who demonstrate wisdom in the workplace. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Email us your suggestions, questions, or ideas to workpodcast at ccclife.org. And lastly, tell your friends that the way they work matters too and invite them to join along in the conversation. We'll talk to you guys soon.